For a long time, American Express had the slogan in their ads, membership has its privileges. And I suppose it does. I don't know if you hold an American Express card or not, but I suppose it is true that there are some privileges to having an American Express card. For myself, I don't know if you agree, but for myself, I was never willing to pay their annual fee to get whatever privileges they were offering, so I never had an American Express card. But they claimed membership has its privileges. Well, that statement could be applied to the church, and it would be definitely true if you were to say, being in the Lord's church has its privileges. There are just lots of things that are a great advantage to those who are members of the Lord's church. And it's a good exercise to, to spend some time meditating upon those things once in a while. For instance, a, a, a privilege of being a member of the body of Christ is that we have association with the best people in the world. Ever spend time thinking about that? In other words, here, here are people, um, someone who's not in the church, and they're out there, they want to associate with somebody. Who do they associate with? I don't know. But I'm telling you what, they don't associate with the fine people I get to associate with in the body of Christ. That's a real privilege to have that association. And in that association with others who are have a like precious faith, there are people there who help and strengthen me spiritually, who help me deal with the trials and temptations of everyday life, uh, both spiritual and physical. And so you could just sit down, and as, as I said, I think from time to time it would be a good exercise to spend some time just listing your privileges as a member of the Lord's church. Of course, the ultimate privilege is that we have salvation in Christ Jesus and we are in His church and we have the hope of heaven in eternity. So we should think about our privileges. But having said that, what we really are going to talk about tonight are not privileges, but rather responsibilities. While there are definite privileges to being in the Lord's church, there are responsibilities as well. And we want to talk about a few, not necessarily all, and not necessarily in any particular order. We want to talk about responsibilities as a member of this local church. I need to understand that because I am a member of this congregation, I have certain responsibilities. And therefore, I need to be both recognizing them and fulfilling them because it is expected of me. We want to talk about our individual responsibilities as members of the local church. I want to add, before we go further, I want to stop and add my word of welcome and commendation to what Jack has already said. We're glad that you're here. We're glad that you braved the elements, that you've come, that you have this as a priority, and that you have put this first. And we appreciate you for that and draw great encouragement from you as a result of your decision tonight. Thank you for being here. Uh, we uh, depend on you. And I, I always commend the Sunday night crowd. Uh, you're the real diehards, and we admire that in you. Thanks for coming tonight. Thanks to those who are visiting with us, too. We're glad that you've come, and we want you to come back every time that you have a chance. And we're always open to your questions. Let's talk about my and your responsibilities as members of this local church. And again, I'm not going to try to list everyone that could be imagined, and I'm not going to try to list them in any particular order, but I'm going to start out with this one, that as a member of this local church, I have a responsibility to grow spiritually. The church prospers as each individual member grows and matures, gets stronger in service to God. As each individual member, as you and I, get stronger in doing the will of God in our lives, the congregation as a whole benefits and prospers because of that. 
The contrary is also true. <clears throat> if I'm a weak Christian, <clears throat> and if I'm engaged in the kind of activities that I ought not to be engaged in, if I'm diminishing spiritually, I'm losing my zeal and enthusiasm, I'm getting weaker and weaker, then proportionately the congregation is already getting weaker and weaker. And so think about our responsibility to grow and get stronger. In the text that Dan read for us earlier from Ephesians chapter 4, the New King James Version reads this way in verse 16, the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. I want to emphasize to you that every part must do its share. You are a part of this local congregation. Therefore, you have a share of the work to be done. And we're only going to be what we can be, all that we can be, when you're pulling your part of the load, when you're doing your share of the work. Uh, someone might say, well, I don't even know what my part is. I don't understand what share of the work is assigned to me. Well, that's the first problem then. You need to identify what you have to contribute. You need to identify your part of the work that you can do and then you need to get busy doing it because we depend on that. The church grows as each member grows. And in Second Peter chapter 3, verse 18, a verse we often reference simply commands us to be growing, grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Are you growing? We're expecting that out of you. In fact, we need that out of you. And it's a part of your responsibility to us as a collective body. We need you to be growing spiritually. If you cannot evaluate yourself, and honestly say, I feel as though I'm a stronger Christian than I was last year. I feel like I'm a stronger Christian than I was five years ago. Uh, I'm a stronger Christian than I was ten years ago. If you can't personally evaluate and measure increase in yourself, then you need to change that. You are individually expected to do so, and as a congregation, we're depending on you doing that. We need you to be growing. Closely associated with that, I would add that it is my responsibility as a member of this local church to be busy serving to the best of my ability. In Romans chapter 12, verse 6, the New American Standard Version says, And since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let each exercise them accordingly. Now, what we see here is that obviously all of us have different talents you may be skilled in one thing and I have no ability in that at all and vice versa. Well, that's understood. And God himself understands that. But what he wants is for us all to do what we can to the best of, the, uh, of our ability to do it. We need to be busy working to the best of our ability. You know, I've heard sometimes members of the church say things like, I'm not being used. Have you ever heard someone offer that expression, I'm not being used? Now, I think typically what that means is, usually when you investigate a little bit, what that means is someone says, well, I'm not getting to lead singing as often as I like to lead singing. And there's enough men here who offer public prayer that I very seldom get called on to offer a public prayer and so forth. Well, I want to tell you, if that's all you think there is for you to do, then you're sadly mistaken. I would suggest to you that if you never got called on in the public worship, that would not be a measure of your effectiveness and your working in the kingdom of God. What we do here in the assembly, what, what individual men may lead us in various parts of our worship, 
is not an indication of how busy anybody is in the kingdom of God. That's not the true measure. And so if you've had that feeling, especially you men have had that feeling, maybe I'm not being used because you don't get called on very frequently in the public assembly, just put that out of mind. Uh, that is not the measure. Uh, there are so many things to be done that have nothing to do with our coming together in the public assembly. And uh, it is your job to identify what those various areas of service are, and it's your job to keep you busy. If I'm, if I'm making that expression, I'm not being used, or I'm not, uh, I'm not busy enough, whose fault is that? That's my fault. Let me get busy. Let me put myself in full gear working and serving the Lord. It is my responsibility to serve to the very best of my ability. And again, the local church is depending on each one of us having that outlook. We're only going to be the best that we can be when we're all serving to the best of our ability. Here's another thing that I think is so ultimately important, and that is that as a member of this local congregation, it's my duty to set a good example in the community. I doubt that there's anything that you can do that would be more hurtful, more harmful, cause more damage to the local church than for you to get out in the community among people who are not Christians and let them see you engaging in the kind of activities that Christians shouldn't have any part in. When you do that, and when people know that you're identified as a member of this congregation, you're not just hurting yourself, you're hurting us desperately. This is so important. Unfortunately, it is not always the case that Christians behave themselves the way they should. And, and when people see that, when they see that hypocrisy, you call yourself a Christian and yet you don't live like one, when they see that hypocrisy, it's terribly damaging to the cause of Christ and it is terribly damaging to this local congregation. Unfortunately, sometimes that happens. It's happened here in the past, and we need to be very careful about that. It's most hurtful when Christians are not living a good example uh, among those in the community around us. In Philippians chapter 2, beginning verse 14, Paul said, Do all things without murmurings and disputings, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. Notice that last expression there. Uh, Paul suggested that we should shine as lights in the world. And we would ask you to evaluate yourself. Do you feel like that's a fitting description? That you are a good, shining example of what a Christian ought to be? And therefore you are serving as a very effective ambassador for this local congregation among the people in the community that you associate with on a regular basis? And that's the way it should be. In fact, it's your job to do that. You're obligated. It's your responsibility to be setting a good example in the community. I would further add, and again, remember, these are random things and not in any particular order, but I would add that uh, we have the job to submit to the elders' oversight. It is my responsibility to submit to the leadership of the elders. I think that this is an increasing problem in our day and time. People who are not wanting to submit to the leadership of the elders. I think it's increasing. I, I don't know about you, but it seems like I, I have sensed, not, not necessarily here particularly at College View, but just in general among brethren, that there's a, a greater uh, problem with Christians who are willing to submit. I'll tell you, I help this local church, and you do too, when we submit to the leadership. 
In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, it says, Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls, as they that must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. Now, the first expression there, obey them that have the rule over you, that's got to be talking about the elders, right? In what matters do I submit or obey the elders? Well, I don't obey them in doctrinal things. In matters of doctrine, I obey the Lord Jesus Christ, right? The elders can't dictate or change matters of doctrine. I don't submit to them. I do what the Lord tells me to do through His inspired Word. And in fact, if the elders tell me to do something different than that, I am not going to submit to them, right? So what would I be submitting to them in? Well, I'd have to be submitting to them in matters of judgment. And in their matters of judgment, I must submit. I should do that. When I do that, I'm helping the cause of the local church. When I fail to do that, if I'm grousing and complaining and forever murmuring about everything that's done, then I'm dragging down this local church. I'm not building it up. It's a hurtful thing, not a helpful one, if I'm not submitting to the elders. I believe this is really important, and all of us who are members of this local congregation need to think carefully about our relationship with the elders and our willingness to submit to their leadership. I help this church when I submit to the elders, and so do you. And But the, unfortunately, the contrary is also true. If I'm one who is constantly backbiting and harping and complaining, uh, if, if I'm talking behind their backs and, and, and criticizing every move that they make, then I'm causing great harm, and the church does not prosper as a result of that. As a member of this local church, I have the duty to strive for peace with my brothers and sisters in Christ. I want to emphasize the first word there, strive for peace. And the reason I'm emphasizing that is that it indicates that I have to put forth some effort. I need to be working at maintaining peace with my brothers and sisters. I should not just assume that it is so and act like it just happens automatically because it doesn't. You know what I think happens automatically? If you don't pay attention to this, if you just let things run their own course, what happens automatically is that we have strife and division and conflict. It's happened way too many times. Some of you have had those very experiences perhaps in various congregations that you've been a member of. I tell you what, you can go back and read the pages of the New Testament and find out that it even happened among congregations in the first century. If you don't work at peace, there will be conflict. If you don't make peace a priority, there will be trouble. And so, you have this job. I have this job. If we all work at our job, we can maintain peace. Uh, but it's not going to be achieved just by chance or accident. It, Peace is not the kind of thing that says, well, I'll get along with everybody if they, if they treat me just the way I want. But let them cross me once, buddy, and we're going, to have, we're going to come to blows. That's not peace, is it? That's no peace at all. My commitment to a peaceful relationship with my brothers and sisters in Christ is not tested when everything is going well. My commitment to peace with my brothers and sisters in Christ is tested when there's a little issue that needs to be worked out, when there's a problem that we have to address when there's some difficulty that we have to talk to each other about. My commitment to peace is not tested in peaceful times. My commitment to peace is tested when that peace is challenged and is threatened. We have to be committed to peace uh, in the moment. Will you do what it takes to be at peace? In Ephesians chapter 4, beginning verse 1, 
Paul said, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Special emphasis there on endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Work at it. You've got to make it a priority. Can't hardly mention that without offering this caveat that obviously the one thing we won't do and can't do in order to maintain peace is to compromise doctrine, to compromise the truth. Uh, sadly, there are some people who are willing to do that. We can't do that. But short of compromising truth or erring in matters of doctrine, then we should certainly strive with all we're, we have in us to maintain peace with our brethren. We need to watch out for the well-being of one another. Uh, this is really important, that we be on the lookout for every other person who's a member of this local congregation. Now think about this. We are a family. We're a spiritual family working together here at College View. What do you do when one of your family members has an issue? Well, you're perceptive to that, right? Uh, if you have somebody in your family and they're sick, uh, somebody in your family and they have a special need, because you are family, you immediately step up and do what's needed. That's good. Commendable. Well, in our spiritual family, we need to be the same way. We need to have the confidence. We need to, to feel very secure in the fact that if, if I'm having some problem, I've got a whole congregation of brothers and sisters who are going to come to my aid and help me through whatever it is that I'm dealing with. I need to have that confidence. The church needs to know that, that whoever you are and whatever situation you're in, You've got a strong resource of brothers and sisters who will hold you up. Now, let me ask you a question associated with that. If you're on the, on the lookout for the well-being of your brethren in the local congregation, let me ask you to just honestly evaluate your level of involvement with the other members of this congregation. In fact, I would challenge you, do you even know all the members of this local congregation? Can you identify everybody by name? Can you call out all their children's names, for instance? Do you know who they are? If you don't even know who they are, how can it be said that you're really watching out for their spiritual well-being? You don't know them, do you? If I'm going to be looking out for you and you're going to be looking out for me, then i got to know you. i got to know some, some, something about you. I've got to be involved with your life, and you've got to be involved with mine. And I really think that we are moving away from that in the modern age. And we're all becoming more isolated from one another. Uh, there are probably several things that are contributing to that, not the least of which is some of the technological advances that have occurred in recent years. But we've got to overcome that. And we've got to be the kind of people who know one another, know one another well, and we're really watching out for each other. In Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13, it says, Exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Notice this is a one another kind of command. That I'm supposed to exhort you and you're supposed to exhort me. This is not a job reserved exclusively for the elders. Well, let the elders be watching out for the spiritual well-being of everyone. Well, that's obviously a special duty. They have an additional accountability in the matter of watching for souls. We already read Hebrews 13, verse 17. They have a special assigned responsibility, but, but it's not exclusive. The idea is not exclusively theirs to watch out 
for the well-being of Christians, we all have that mutual responsibility. We're to watch out for one another. We're supposed to do it, notice, every day. Exhort one another daily while it is called today. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Do you do that? Uh, we certainly understand that we've had situations here at College View where we've had brethren overtaken in a fault, the exact situation that Paul's addressing there in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. When that has happened in the past, have you personally made any effort to restore that person that was overtaken in a fault? Well, not everybody has. In fact, I would argue that in a typical congregation, and I don't know that College View is terribly untypical in this matter, in a typical congregation, only a fairly small percentage of the people take any positive measures to try and restore people who have been overtaken in a fault. That's not right. Because it's no more the job of anybody else than it is your job. It is your job as much as anybody else's to be restoring a brother overtaken in a fault. And so what I'm saying is, you have a responsibility to be watching out for the well-being of your brethren. I have that responsibility. We all do. Do not sit back and think, well, the elders will take care of that. A few of the other strongest members, they will see to that, that man and, and the problem he's dealing with. No, it can't work that way. The congregation suffers when that sort of work is left to a few. It's a job for us all. We all have that responsibility. As a sort of a sub-point here, let me add that if it reaches a point wherein it becomes necessary for us to exercise discipline towards someone who is unfaithful. You understand the process. We won't go into time, take the time to, to reiterate what we've discussed before about church discipline and how it works. But let's say we've reached a point with a certain person in the church where it becomes necessary. Other efforts have failed and we've reached a point where the elders have led us into exercising a, a, a disciplinary action against an unruly member. Your care for your fellow Christians in this local church would include the sad reality that sometimes we have to withdraw from someone. And if we do, your participation in that church discipline is very much needed. I've known of Christians before who said, I'm not, they may do that, but I'm not doing that. They may decide that they're going to withdraw from such and such a person, but I'm not going to. I'll tell you, when you do that, you absolutely knock the the, the props out from underneath the whole effort. You, you, you ruin the effectiveness of it. And so, uh, as you think about watching out for the spiritual well-being of your brethren, be prepared. We hope, we hope it would never happen again. We hope we'd never come to that point again. But history says we probably will. And if it comes to that, be committed to participate in any necessary disciplinary action. Second Thessalonians chapter 3. Verses 14 and 15. If any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man and have no company with him, that he may be ashamed, yet count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. That last phrase there suggests why we do that. We're not doing it because we're mad at somebody. We're not doing it because we're an enemy with them. We're doing it because we love them and we want to do what we can to save their eternal soul. Let me suggest to you that another very simple, obvious duty that I have and you have as a member of this local church is to attend the assemblies faithfully. 
It was raining pretty hard when we left home tonight. In fact, as we were getting ready to leave home, it was raining pretty hard, and I just thought about laying out. I just thought, I'll just stay home. It's raining hard. I mean, it's, rain, it's raining out there. Did you see how hard it's raining? I just thought I'd stay home. What would you think if the preacher stayed home because of inclement weather? It would make you shake your head, wouldn't it? The preacher's laying out because it's raining? I'll tell you, there's some folks who did. What if the elders called in? Just about, we're just about ready to start, and Arthur calls from down there in Cullioca. You know, Cullioca's on down the highway a little ways, and he says, it's raining hard, I'm going to stay in tonight. We say, what? Arthur's going to stay in tonight because of a little rain? I'm going to get a hold of him and shake him real good. He can't do that. What's he thinking anyway? But some folks did. Some folks do, right? It's raining. I think I'll stay home tonight. I, I wonder how first century Christians would view me. They assembled, when assembling, put their lives at risk. They assembled anyway. And I stayed home because it was raining. Oh, man. I don't want to come face to face with them uh, in eternity. What will they think of me then? I'm just making a point here. It's a simple thing. I, I tell you, if everything we were called upon to do as Christians was as simple as faithfully attending the assemblies, it'd be a breeze, wouldn't it? There'd be no challenge at all. This is not hard. There's no difficulty here. And yet some can't achieve that faithfulness to simply attend all of the assemblies. We need to do it. You know, Hebrews 10:25 not forsaking the assembling ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. This is a good thing that we're doing, is it not? Isn't it good for us to be here tonight? This is a good thing. Uh, I, unfortunately, I've, I've heard Christians ask the question, where does it say that I have to be there on Sunday night? Where does it say that I have to be there on Wednesday night? Well, obviously, the Scripture doesn't say that, and we're not pretending that it does. But this is a good thing. This assembly that we do is a good thing, is it not? And if you would acknowledge that, then add in this as a consideration. James 4, 17 says, Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is a sin. If I know it's a good thing, but I purposely neglect even Sunday night and Wednesday night, if I make a choice purposely not to be here, then I'm neglecting something that's good, and I believe the Lord will hold me accountable for that. You have this responsibility. I have this responsibility. Do you realize, I hope that you do, do you realize what a strength and encouragement you provide to the rest of us by virtue of your simple presence here? We draw strength from you. Just sitting there in that pew, we draw strength from you and your presence in these assemblies. Contrarywise, if you're not here, then we miss you. If you're not here for some legitimate reason, let's say that you're sick, or you're staying home with a sick child, or some other issue like that, we still miss you. And, 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 we, and that strength and encouragement that we draw from you is lacking, and even under those legitimate circumstances. But I want to tell you, if we know that you could have been here and you weren't, that's devastating. We miss you. If, you, if you're missing for some legitimate reason, we still miss you. But if we know that you're missing for some frivolous matter, that's devastating. That, that really hurts. We depend on you. You have a responsibility to be here. Please acknowledge that and do your part. Be here, as they say, every time the doors are open. Finally, let me suggest 
that you have a duty as a member of this local congregation to support this congregation's work financially. Uh, this is, uh, uh, again, not something for everyone else to do, but I'm not, I, I just don't get too involved in that. You know, you see the numbers back there on the board. You know the kind of contributions that we have here. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to take the contribution, divide it by the number of people who are here, and see oh, what, what kind of contributions that some people must obviously be making. There are some people obviously here making some considerable contributions week by week. It's not any more their job to contribute financially to this work than yours. Now, some people may be able to give more than others because some prosper more than others. We'll look at the verses here just in a minute. But in regards to doing what I can, it's my job to do what I can to financially support this congregation as much as anybody else's. And you can't leave that off to someone else. In 1 Corinthians 16, verse 1, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store as God hath prospered him. I think it's important for us to notice that Paul was giving an order here, he says. We have given order. I'm giving order. It's an order. It's a command. It's not an option. And so you're not, if you're a member of the local church, you're not free to say, I just choose not to do that. Well, if you do, you choose then to directly violate a command or order given by the inspired apostle Paul. The other verse we frequently cite is 2 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning verse 6. Paul says, He which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man according as he purposes in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. How's your giving? Understand that your giving, your financial support of what we're striving to do here at College View is a responsibility. Uh, are you giving fairly? Do you evaluate it regularly? Do you think about what you're giving in comparison to your income? Uh, I've known in times past, because not because I look into such matters, I don't, but occasionally it has come to my attention that people will say something uh, along the lines that I'm giving, I'm giving $20 a week. It's what I've given for the last 20 years. I've all, I always give $20 a week. Well, I'll tell you, a person giving $20 a week who was given $20 a week 10 or 20 years ago almost certainly is not giving uh, as they have been prospered. They're not purposing or planning. We're prosperous people. Our prosperity is increasing. We need to be giving more. And, and that is a part of your responsibility to this congregation as a member of it. As I said at the outset, these things that we've talked about tonight, eight of them, are not exhaustive this doesn't I, I i would not suggest that this covers the entire gamut of all things you need to think about as responsibilities of the member of local church it's not categorical and it's not in any particular order of priority but i hope you'd agree with me that these things are certainly taught in the word of god they are a part of our responsibilities and we should think carefully about them membership has its privileges that's true it's certainly uh, membership in, in the body of Christ, it has its benefits. Membership in this local congregation has great benefits. So membership has its privileges, but membership also has its responsibilities. You need to think about how well you're fulfilling yours. Thanks for listening to what we've had to say tonight. We're going to end the lesson by extending the Lord's invitation to all who are present. If you're a Christian, we talked tonight to those of us who are Christians. If you're a Christian already, but you 
recognize that you have not been fulfilling your responsibilities to the Lord or this local church, then you need to change that. We pray that you would repent and confess your faults and we could pray with you and for you tonight if you need that. If you're not yet a Christian, we hope you make the decision without delay. The simple gospel plan of salvation is that we should hear, believe, repent, confess, and be baptized. If we can help you in that obedience, let us know while we stand and sing this song. Oh.